1938, Orson Welles, on Halloween Eve, read on the radio, War of the Worlds, a story about aliens that invaded the earth. Estimated about six million people listened. And at the beginning of his reading of this science fiction novel, he explained this was in light of Halloween and it was a play he was reading and he would do it with drama and acting. It's estimated six million people listened. A few hundred thousand signed into the radio program late. They didn't hear the presentation at the beginning. And so many people believed he was giving an actual newscast. Now, the mass hysteria has been studied and still studied today in psychology. Some of it has probably been exaggerated. However, we do know several thousand people called the police and they said things such as when Orson Welles described the alien invaders from War of the Worlds, they explained how they went on their porch, looked up in the sky and saw spaceships. Others said they saw the lasers being shot down into the earth. Some said they could smell the smoke burning from the attack. And the next morning, the newspapers had headlines about this hysteria that took place. People fooled by something that was very obviously meant to simply be a fiction presentation. Interesting, the things that often people believe even things that would seem so irrational. Brings us to this man, Arthur Conan Doyle, known for writing Sherlock Holmes. Of course, Sherlock Holmes, as a detective, uses science and reason and logic to solve crimes. However, something took place in 1917 that Conan Doyle was involved in. In 1917 in England, Francis Griffin and Elsie White, two 10-year-olds, kept getting in trouble for coming home late and having muddy feet. When their parents scolded them, they said, we were in the woods playing with fairies. And their parents scolded them for making up stories. But the girls said, well, one day you'll see we're telling the truth. After a few more days of getting in trouble, they finally told their dad, we'll prove to you there are fairies in the woods. He gave them a camera, sent them on their way, knowing that they were just simply playing a prank. But later that night, they came back and said, we took a picture. The father took the film, developed it in the basement. Sure enough, there's Elsie White posing with some small fairies. The father knew it was a prank. The girl said it's real. A few more weeks went by. They asked for the camera again, took a few more pictures. Same discussion with the dads. However, their mothers were involved in what we would say today is the New Age religion. And the mothers looked at the pictures and said, we're not so sure this is a prank. The fathers laughed the story off, but the mothers took the pictures to town, showed them to some psychics. They thought it might be real. They got very excited about it. The pictures were passed on to different people. Eventually, they landed in the hands of Arthur Conan Doyle. He too believed they were authentic, and he made them famous, published them, and they became known across England. Other reporters came to see the girls and said, we want more pictures, gave the girls cameras. They took a few more pictures. After a few weeks, though, they were tired of the game, said the fairies had now left. However, they never confessed at that time 
that it was a prank. And so people, again, believed this was true. Now, we can see from the pictures today, very obvious, the girls simply cut out images from a magazine and had them in the grass, hanging from a small string or taped to a plant. And it's very obvious. But again, people believed, and especially interesting, is Arthur Conan Doyle. Why did he believe something so far-fetched? Well, at the time, he was just a few months removed from the death of his son. And he was in a dark place, and he was depressed, and he was looking for something to believe in, anything at all. And here was this presentation of these pictures, something seeming otherworldly, and he got caught up in it. Something that he thought, maybe if I find something I can't explain in this world, perhaps then there's mysteries beyond death, and maybe I'll see my son again. Interestingly enough, it wasn't until the 1980s Elsie White finally confessed. It was all a prank. And in her own words, she said, it was meant to be a two-hour joke. Somehow, it turned into a 70-year joke. Again, as we talk often, we're all looking for what is the truth, and some get caught up in so many things that are not true, and we need to be able to point people to the truth in Christ. So with that, turn to 1 John chapter 5, Verses 4 and 5, the first part of that says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Now that word world means world system. What we would say is sin or brokenness. Jesus talking about the devil, the God of this world, or Paul saying the prince of the power of the air. Everyone born of God overcomes that world. The world of sin and the brokenness and man-made systems. What does it mean to be an overcomer in that world? This is Chip Ingram. He's a pastor. And when he gave his life to Christ as a teenager, his dad said when he came home from college, I can tell there's something different about you. What is the difference now in your life? And Chip Ingram told his dad he's now a believer in Christ. And his dad said, well, you seem to have real peace. I want that. What do I need to do? And Chip said, I don't know, dad. What I know is I've been reading this Bible and praying, and everything's different now. As Chip would explain, his father was in World War II, and some of the bloodiest battles, he saw terrible things, and he was haunted nightly by these nightmares. And he would wake up in great pain and panic and darkness. Chip gave his, grand, his father a Bible, suggested he read the Gospels, a couple of weeks went by. He came back from college again. His dad had continued to read. And he said, you know what? I read the Gospels and I went on further in the New Testament and it talks about faith. And he said, what is faith? And Chip said, I don't know, Dad. I'm new at this too. Let's keep reading. He went away to college, came back a few months later. His dad said, I've been reading about grace. What is grace? And again, Chip said, I can't answer that. But let's keep reading. He said nine months went by as he continued to read. And finally, his dad trusted his life to Christ. Overcoming the world, as John says, when you're born of God, you can overcome the 
brokenness, the sin, the world system of false teaching, whatever it may be that stops people from understanding the hope and the promise that is available in Christ. Now, perhaps the most important thing that happened on October 31st was when Martin Luther, searching for that same truth, nailed his 95 theses to that door in Wittenberg. And so October 31st, 1517, that was the birth of the Reformation. And today, October 31st, is known as Reformation Day, a time for us to remember that truth is what everyone seeks, but so many get caught up in things that are false. So that's why we need to do what John says here, overcome the world and understand the rest of what he means here by that statement. In fact, if you continue in John, 1 John 5, verse 4, he says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. He uses that word overcome three times in these three sentences. Overcome. The word in Greek is nike, and it means to conquer, to have victory, to have success. Nike, overcome, to be a conqueror, someone that is more than an overcomer, as the gospel tells us we are in Christ. Nike, in our modern day world, we say Nike, and now you understand why the shoe company took that term for their motto and the name of their company. The overcomer is who we are in Christ. There's a great parable. It's an old one. Nobody knows who wrote it, but it's about a king and he puts a boulder in the middle of a road and people walk up to the boulder, complain that it's in the road and he is hiding behind a tree watching to see what people say. And some people walk by and complain. Others say the king needs to pay more attention to his kingdom. And finally, a man walks by carrying a basket and his clothing is torn and dirty. And so it's obvious he doesn't have much money. And as he walks around the boulder, he turns back, sees it again, puts down the basket, goes to the boulder, and with great effort tries to move it. But it's very heavy, of course, and it takes all this effort and struggle and sweat. But he finally gets the boulder off the road, picks up his basket, and then looks to see there's a pouch where the boulder was opens up the pouch and inside is gold and a note from the king that says, whoever moves this boulder, this gold is yours. And the moral of the parable is that even in the greatest obstacles, there is potential for growth. There can be tremendous benefits. There can be a treasure that we find when we see the deeper lesson in that moment and stand in faith from a place to say, I am an overcomer because that's what Jesus says is my true identity. Let's take a moment and look at one verse from Ezekiel 37, one of the most well-known verses in scripture. And here's Ezekiel. He has the vision where he sees this valley of dry bones. Israel is in captivity in Babylon, enslaved and so they are spiritually dead. And so that's what Ezekiel sees. And God says to him, verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? 
Now again, Ezekiel's vision, the bones are Israel. For you and me, the bones might be a certain situation in our life. Can these bones live? Can this situation be changed? It might be looking at our culture and seeing things that are not the way they should be and saying, can this be revived? And of course, Ezekiel says, I spoke to the Lord and I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can dead bones be revived? The answer is no. Unless we have faith. And Ezekiel says, Father, you know. You know the situation can change. You know that revival can happen. You know that the impossible can become possible because of your grace. And of course, in the vision, the dead bones live again. And so it is for us that, you know what? Life is not always easy. Life is not always pleasant. Sometimes there's boulders in the road we need to learn from. But ultimately, we stand in a place and say, my identity is Nike, an overcomer, a conqueror in Christ. I can live above the world system, above sin, above the devil's influence. Can these bones live again? Lord, you know. Chris Valton said it like this, there is no victory without a battle. No testimony without a test and no miracle without an impossible circumstance. Our call is to, again, know the world looks for the truth. Do we then live it by example? In Philadelphia, when Benjamin Franklin wanted to put in lamps on the street, he lived it by an example. He put one at his house. And people thought, what's the use of that? Until they were out at night and they could see that lamp far away. And eventually they said, I want one for my house. And started a chain reaction. Why? Because of his example. And suddenly then Philadelphia had all these street lamps. These are some, these are some Tibetan monks. They visited Akron just a few years ago. My wife and I went and listened to them do a talk about Buddhism. Buddhism is known as an atheistic religion. They have no belief they share about God. They say the picture is too big or the question is too big to discuss. You know, how do you find an answer to that? And again, that's where we say in Christ alone. But what's interesting, the monks, the foundation of Buddhism is to not be attached, not be attached to an outcome or to an object, whatever it is. And so they paint these sand mandalas, like you see here, beautiful images that take days and days and days with several monks painting in the sand. And they create these sand mandalas. They did one here, and you could look at it for just a brief time at the mall, because once they're done, they only let it exist for a few moments. Then they take out a broom and they wipe away this art so beautiful that took so long to make. Why do they do that? Again, to show don't be attached to something. What's important is who you become while you're making the painting, learning to grow in that place, becoming a better person, learning that objects don't provide fulfillment. It's rather the growth that takes place while you are in the process of making something happen. It's a great principle for us as well. 
Again, to say, you know what? I don't know all the outcomes. What I want to do is to grow in the process so that I can help other people in their time of need, so I can see the deeper lessons in life. Warren Wearsby said, there are times when you feel like quitting, but they can be times of great opportunity. God uses your trouble to help you grow. Something important to keep in mind. As we close here this morning, again, 1 John now 5, verse 5, he says, who overcomes? Who, Nike? And then his answer, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's our promise. When life is difficult, when life has obstacles, what we can say is my identity, and it's a great thing to speak out loud, to claim in prayer, and to say it with faith. I don't have all the answers, but I know my identity is an overcomer because Christ has been the one to overcome. And now in Him, I can be that one to have victory in Him. Psalm 36, 5, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. That love is why we then can say, My faith is in Him who has that love for me. Can these dead bones live again? Well, he knows, and he can do all things. In Greece, about 250 B.C., they said the greatest obstacle in life is not death. It's not poverty. It's not disease. They said the greatest obstacle in life is cowardice. Cowardice. What they taught, and a great lesson for us today, again, it's not the absence of fear, but it's when you're afraid You step into that fear with courage and faith that says, you know what? I'm not in this alone. I can do all things through he who gives me strength. Cowardice that paralyzes so people give up, that is the greatest obstacle. Fear, when we step into that fear and say, you know what? I'm going to move forward because I know these dead bones can live again because I know I'm an overcomer in him. You see, that's when faith becomes sight. Guy McGraw put it well. He said, God is building a testimony in your life. God is building a testimony in your life. God is building a testimony in my life. And will that testimony be of those who are faithful, even when it was difficult, or even when there was anxiety, or even in the face of great odds? A testimony that says, I believe, because he said it of me, I am Nike, a conqueror overcoming the world. Iris Blue lived on the streets, committed violent crimes, was a drug dealer, a drug addict, joined a gang. Eventually at 17, got arrested, sent to prison for seven years. When Iris got out of prison, now she had more respect on the street. She became a gang leader. She started to run her own criminal enterprises. And to do some of that, she opened up a bar. One of her clients called her one day and said he became a believer in Christ. She didn't want to listen to that, but he said, you know what? Jesus loves you too. A couple days later, he called, told her the same thing. She still was not interested. Finally, at the end of the week, he called and said, I want to see you one last time, but this will be the last time. I'll meet you outside the bar. 
Ira said this man showed up and told her, I'm a changed man now. I can no longer hang around people like you. Iris' own words from this point. When he said that, I wanted to cut his throat. I thought, all this week, you told me how precious I am to God, and now, in a word, I'm garbage. Before I could strike back, he said, you don't even understand. Jesus can turn you into a lady. When he said that word, lady, it was like something just exploded inside me. I thought all I ever wanted to be was a lady. He said, you see, it's like a marriage. It's not just believing, but rather it's a commitment of your life to Jesus. I give you me, you say. It's not just a one-way street. Jesus gets all of you and you get all of him. Are you ready? I said, I'm ready. He said, okay, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. We knelt down to pray. It was like God pulled back a curtain on my heart. And on March 31st, out in front of an old bar, I knelt down a criminal, a loser, and a zero. And I stood up a lady, clean, pure, forgiven, innocent, blameless, cherished, brand new. My life was different. Can these bones live again? You alone know, Lord, by your grace, by your love that reaches to the heavens, by your faithfulness that reaches to the skies. All things are possible. In Jesus' name.